0: Welcome to Comrade Burbs, Working Class Revolution. All right, hey, it's Trace with Comrade Burb, and today I am talking to my friend Robert J from the Metro Detroit Political Action Network, and we are going to be talking about two of my favorite subjects: Star Wars and Revolution, and. Robert has some ideas about how there are some um, positive ideas about revolution within the, the Star Wars mythos. So, without further ado,
1: let's hear from Robert. Thank you, Trace. I'm really happy to be on the program. So, um, what I'm putting down today is that um, despite the fact that Star Wars is often marked by its commercial success, um, it's actually uh, the theory that I'm going to pose here is that from the very beginning um, there was supposed to be a strong revolu- revolutionary message permeating throughout all of the all of the Star Wars movies that George Lucas had a hand in. Uh, I do have to fudge a little bit of data there because I am going to be including the sequel trilogy in this analysis as well of which uh, two of the three movies conform perfectly and The third, unfortunately, does not. But there's also a removal of one character can fix everything on that. Uh, Just to get into my uh, methodology a little bit, I will be taking all nine main series movies plus the two release side stories and additionally, the CGI Clone Wars series of which George Lucas had a lot of direct input over the story direction.
0: Gotcha. This, I am digging it already.
1: <laughs> right, on, I, uh,
2: right
0: on, You know, back in high school, I had a mythology course, and one of my papers was uh, drawing in the mythological themes that are seen in Star Wars. So this is even more pertinent than that today. I'm really excited to hear what you have to say.
1: <laughs> well, let's get right into it. So it basically... To, to get into the theory, you need to accept that one of these two things is true. Either that George Lucas is actually a pretty decent guy deep down and wanted to make sure that future generations after him learn from what his generation went through. Or if that's a bridge too far, you can believe that the force actually is real and it managed to uh, guide all of these different people with selfish agendas into somehow creating a remarkably consistent process uh, pro-revolutionary work so the main the main thing I'm going to try to put down is that the first six Star Wars movies are despite what you see in the foreground set dressing are in fact a scathing indictment of liberalism and how it's not actually properly equipped to defeat fascism in a sustainable sense either when it's the established power or when it's the rebellious power And a lot of that comes from the way that I do my analysis is that for both authors of a work and characters within a work, you can't really separate them from the circumstances that surrounded and influenced them. So George Lucas, being a guy who grew up after the World War II generation, so he got to rest on their laurels and then got to be part of the anti movement, which is, um, and the it doesn't sound like he was part of the civil rights movement, but he was alive during all of that happening, all of this revolutionary change that could have happened. And then he also saw how all of these same people that he grew up with who were, if not involved, then at least off to the side of those movements, he saw them get established and then forget everything that they fought for in the first place. And the time periods where those happen is, um, you know, kind of the, the end of the revolutionary period in the United States in the late '70s, and then you have um, several decades of darkness, which kicked off by Ronald Reagan, and then you have the new millennium where we have the Patriot Act, and then we keep re-upping the Patriot Act and keep re-upping the Patriot mm-hmm. Act, and now we've actually got the official jackbooted thugs sweeping people off the streets for no reason in Portland. Yeah. So such I. So it's oh, sorry.
0: I was going to say, we got Stormtroopers knocking on doors, practically, like in Moss Eisley.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I feel like one of these, you know, George Lucas had to have seen this. And if he did want to impose revolutionary themes in his original works, uh, the original trilogy, then I have to feel as though he made the Star Wars prequels as a recontextualization of how we're supposed to understand the original trilogy. Like, we're not actually think that Jedi are good guys, even within the original trilogy. I think that there's enough evidence to suggest that if you really look closely, um, you're not really dealing with the best faith actors, even though they are firmly positioned in the protagonist's corner. Like, you've got Obi-Wan, for instance, uh, who is pretty delusional regarding his relationship with Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader, to the point that he's even considering them separate people. Um, He also lies to Luke about his parentage because he has a specific revenge-based agenda that he reveals later on in, I believe, Return of the Jedi, but not Empire Strikes Back when his ghost is talking to Yoda.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And further, you know, for as much as the Jedi try to talk about, you know, you have Yoda talking about adventure, excitement, a Jedi craves not these things, but then In A New Hope, you have Obi-Wan being like, oh, no, I'll be fine. I'll just go off alone and shut down this tractor beam by myself. You guys just sit tight here. That that seems like a very thrill-sinking, adventurous individual. Yes. So it's just when so many people bring up a lot of very legitimate contradictions in the way that Star Wars characters talk about themselves, regard the world that they're living in, um, there's a lot of questions of like, well... We could, just, we could just throw it all in the trash as it's a bunch of hacks just trying to make a buck off of nostalgia. And, you know, if you want to think that, that's fine. But I choose to believe that there's something more there. And if you look closely, you can see certain things like, well, now that we get back to the prequels and you see that, oh my gosh, Obi-Wan's been an imperialist charlatan this entire time. Maybe he, maybe we were getting some hints dropped right in A New Hope that, you know, maybe we shouldn't trust this guy's word on everything. Um, You know, you've certainly got the undercurrent of, let's look at the circumstances of these characters in A New Hope versus a prequel trilogy. Our main characters are uh, Princess Leia Organa, who is literally a princess. So that's ruling class right there. And then also galactically as a senator. So one of the most powerful people in the galaxy. You also have Luke Skywalker, who is the adopted son of a plantation owner. Uh, his aunt and uncle run a moisture farm, and droids are very clearly presented as slaves right from the beginning of *A New Hope*. They're yeah. kidnapped by Jawas, thrown into, um, like this really packed, what is effectively a sand slave ship, and mm-hmm. fixed with restraining bolts. Now, if you're, if these are just unsentient pieces of equipment why would a restraining bolt needed to be fixed to them to control some of their mobility and be able to turn them off?
0: That's an excellent It's also
1: interesting if you maybe take a look at some of the, uh, the interior ship shots in a movie like Amistad or something, you might be able to see some similarities with the way that, um, the, uh, the Jawas sand cruiser gets depicted versus, um, when you see enslaved people,
2: Mm -hmm. similar angles.
1: It's, um, Sometimes these similarities just pile up too much to where I think like now how is this an act? like either it's the force or George Lucas ain't a bad guy. Yeah. So you've got so you've got a princess, um, an heir to a plantation, a trucker. Uh, he's a little <laughs> out of place. And then when you get into the sequel, then when you get into the sequel trilogy, of those three people, Han is the one who actually understood Kylo Ren's situation better than the two people. Who had the ruling class backgrounds. Han had none of that. He was dirt poor. He had to steal just to be able to eat as a kid and, you know, lied his way into and subsequently out of the Imperial Army and then took up long-haul space trucking as a career, both legally and illegally. And then you've also got Lando who will meet him in the original trilogy. Uh, we know that he gambles and that he's a very successful venture capitalist. So are these guys are the are these the characters as much as I love all of them are they the characters that are going to bring us the the new world without fascism I I don't think so No and I I think it was kind of clear that you know they could defeat the bad guy but they couldn't exactly set it up as a world full of good guys
0: Yeah Well and if if I don't know if you're a fan of the expanded universe but um, I mean, like the Timothy Zahn novels, um, and Kevin J. Anderson. Um, there's quite a few of you know the novels that started coming out. Uh, I think '91, and I was very into those in the, 90, in the '90s and then early 2000s. And I I haven't kept up, but you know, right away in the Zahn trilogy, you you have the New Republic falling apart <laughs> you know? it, it can't sustain itself and it's under attack by you know Thrawn um, Grand Admiral Thrawn who comes in and raises yeah raises some questions you know <laughs> and I'm not saying he's great but uh, it's you're definitely making some solid points here and I'm just thinking about how it ties into the EU
1: but anyway well, sorry <laughs> Oh, not at all. Not at all. Um, I do confess that I'm not super familiar with the expanded universe. I was trying to keep it um, mostly because I have the most experience with the uh, CGI Clone Wars series, the 90s series movies.
0: Yeah, the Clone Wars, the CGI Clone Wars was excellent. Um,
1: Rebels is good too. Um, I haven't seen
0: it yet, but I've heard good things. No, I just, what you're saying definitely is in alignment with what the EU, at least in, the, I think in the Zahn novels, the Timothy Zahn trilogy, the Thrawn trilogy that, sorry, I'm rambling. Uh, the, the Thrawn trilogy definitely backs up what
1: you're saying, I think. <laughs> well, the official title, even in the first scripts, um, was that this was the Alliance to Restore the Republic. Like that was the entire goal because it was largely a, uh, a ruling class and liberal led alliance against the empire you know they were they were very clearly okay with a lot of the bad things that the empire was doing because the republic was also doing that and its wealth was sustained on that much like the united states empire Mm -hmm. um you can also see in rogue one and that's why i'm i was generally very pleased with how disney started off especially with the last jedi and rogue one because they showed that even within the rebellion the majority of people did not actually want to do what was necessary to defeat the empire. You had to rely on the protagonists of Rogue One, and of course the uh, the stale war in my headcan, and I consider them principled Marxist-Leninists, uh, the Mon Calamari, mm-hmm. um, who were, who I like to believe are the tankies of the Star Wars universe. And yeah, like no. We need to fuck their asses up. Yes. Now. There, there's Sorry. nothing like a mon
0: this? you can absolutely swear on this. Okay, a Montcaled okay. battle cruiser coming at you. Oh, you better better yeah. strap in your shit. <laughs> yeah, it I agree. <laughs> I that's think that it. that's spot on.
1: One way I like this theory um, that I put down is that it allows the maximum number of decent people to be right about their takes on Star Wars. Like, if you hate the way that the characters in the prequels are acting, you're supposed to hate them. Like, this is this is a tragedy, and this is a tragic and negative development
2: arc. Mm-hmm. You're
1: watching Anakin turn from a very sympathetic figure into a murderous fascist. Yes. Um, you know, you're watching Obi-Wan. Have every available opportunity to do things to fix this problem, but he's so brainwashed in the ideology that he doesn't even think to. Uh, mm-hmm. same with Yoda, same with Mace Windu. Padme, also generally a sympathetic figure, but it's also like, um, all of these signs were right in front of you, and it seems like you got more excited once Anakin started getting violent. Which yeah. isn't this kind of the thing about liberals, is that liberals in fact love, absolutely love violence and subjugation. They just don't like when they can't put some kind of air of legitimacy or altruism on Mm -hmm. it. Like, you know, in the long run, we're doing the right thing. Well, no, you're not. You just said, you just decided that everybody you drone strike in the Middle East was an enemy combat. What you actually did was you blew up an elementary school and a hospital. Nice going.
0: They're very, um, liberals are very anxious to believe imperialist propaganda.
1: Same with police, you know, they can, yeah. they can individually disagree with everything the police do, but will still support the police because on a deep, on a deep level, maybe they don't even consciously acknowledge it. They know what the cops really protect and Hell they don't yeah, want they anything do. to change about their material situation. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how Liberty dies with thunderous applause, you know, ushering in the past. Absolutely. Yeah. That was a very bipartisan supported thing back when it was first introduced and apparently still is today.
0: Mm hmm. Well, look at the numbers. I, I don't have them right here in front of me, but when they renewed the Patriot Act, there were, you know, the Democrats are doing nothing but performative resistance. I mean, so yeah, I. The thunderous applause is correct because the majority of the Democrats and uh, the House voted to pass the Patriot Act. You know, renew it. I think it was two thirds, right? Yeah, yeah. It was. It was staggering. Yes, yes. And I mean, that's selling out generations down the line. You know, plus the spending bill. $938 Nine hundred and thirty-eight oh billion, or whatever, for the military that they passed in December—that's selling out generations of our kids. You know.
1: Anyway, <laughs> I mean, because people want to say like nobody would ever act like the characters in the Star Wars prequels, and you know they'll they'll cite events like Jar Jar Binks going "Dello feligates" yeah. and like then passing sweeping emergency powers um granted to the supreme chancellor. Yeah. Um this movie was released i want to say about a year after that exact thing was done for for George W Bush's bumbling ass. Yeah. So it's, right. it's like it, you know you say it's unrealistic but it's actually just a mirror to what we're living in. It's social commentary on our existence. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I get some hate for this saying, like, no, there's there's no way it's possible that Lucas intended all of this. He's actually just some out-of-touch, rich old dude. And I ain't met the guy. I've never talked to him. It may be true. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when I saw, like, in Attack of the Clones, a movie that I don't really enjoy that much, um, but I can respect because of what it adds to the overall story, like, Anakin and Padme's relationship is just so cheesy, but also so sinister at the same yeah. time. But it's also played for laughs in a very subtle way. Because, like, if you, if you think about, like, that Geonosis arena, like, think about, like, the archways, what they're designed like. Um, you know, where you've got, like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a big slit, and then you've got a big ball on the top. Mm-hmm. And um, you know this is happening at the point in the romance arc where they're really starting to feel each other, despite the fact that Anakin committed mass murder, or perhaps mm-hmm. because of the fact that Anakin committed mass murder. Mm-hmm. So you've got, and then you've got Padme, among other people, in a in a midriff. You know she's climbing on top of this giant white pillar, and then jumping directly onto this beast with giant horns, mm-hmm. like it, So like. There's no way that wasn't intentional on some yeah. level, like maybe yeah. not for the point that I'm trying to make, but that romance had to be viewed as like a tongue in cheek thing and not seriously like this is how so people, people are supposed to act in a relationship. Right. That just seems like a lazy take to me. And I don't think people are really looking at the finer detail put on the screen in total, just not always what the camera is focusing on.
2: Mm hmm.
0: Makes sense to me.
1: Uh, so uh, do you have any points of challenge on that or should I go into the sequels?
0: Um, I'm just kind of processing it. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking about how it, their relationship was so cheesy and on some level felt forced. Like, you know, like, how could she be I I don't know. Maybe there, I mean, I always had trouble understanding how there was a draw on her part, you know. But then I guess because he's an exciting Jedi and he's different than who she's dealt with before. And like you said, maybe the, uh, maybe she had massive prejudice against the Tusken Raiders. I don't know. You know, she, yeah. I, I don't know know. I, I yeah I know
1: several planets away from them I know like how did you even know you know but (laughs) um what did Padme get up to in the phantom menace I mean she's certainly no stranger to violent activity although all of her violent actions in phantom menace I would say are were justified Mm -hmm. but you know she's you know she's like she's literally a child like eighth grade age and mm-hmm. is serving as a galactic senator. Um, she also works closely slash has a body double that's literally royalty on her home planet. It certainly looks like the relationship between the Naboo and the Gungans is um, supposed to mirror a colonial relationship with the Gungans being the indigenous population. Yes. Um, so I, I kind of wonder, like, Would she really have that much objection to that if it's done in her name? Yeah. Like, how much would, how many people around Padme outside of maybe R2D2 at most would have, would have like checked her and caused her to examine a lot of her attitudes and uh, how to solve problems about things? Because as far as the prequel cast, I would say morally she's on a better platform than most people. But given what she's signed off on, just that we've seen on screen, not that much better. No, no. She, her,
0: the the height that she seems to be at with her morality is only because of how low everyone else is. (laughs) You know, it, it, I mean, like, um, why can't I think of Liam Neeson's
1: Qui-Gon? Qui-Gon.
0: Yeah, Qui-Gon, I had massive problems with Qui-Gon because I just, I, he was so obsessed with having like a messianic figure that he, you know, he ended up bringing about Darth Vader, you know, not he Did personally. He but Yeah, I guess not. I guess not. It's just, he something about him always bothered me and I can't put my finger on it
1: now I I disagree with that because I feel like Qui-Gon was actually the guy who was the first one to if if we view these movies chronologically then Qui-Gon's the first revolutionary character that we're introduced to instead of whereas we're with a cast of reactionaries because he was he was correct on the fact that anakin skywalker was the person who would bring balance to the force it was just not in the way that he intended because the jedi were way out of balance to the point that they're now professional war criminals for the galactic government um but as darth vader he kills palpatine and himself in the process
2: Mm -hmm. so
1: and there are at least in at least out of um the stuff that I'm including in this, there aren't a whole lot of other trained force users at the time beyond Luke. So the force is effectively balanced through that act alone. But the force was out of balance in the first place, not just because of Darth Sidious, but because of what the Jedi were doing and how far they had fallen from their original like wandering samurai role way back a thousand years ago.
0: You know that reframes it for me.
1: Yeah, and also really does. And Padme. She w- she was right there in the room at Shmi and Anakin's house when uh Qui-Gon's like uh unfortunately we're not here to free slaves and she just kind of goes along with that. So, yeah. to me it's Padme, you know, she had that question of like but that's been illegal for like the uh, of X number of spins around your home star. And Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, but what if you're on a planet that isn't part of the Republic? I mean, they can just start up slaves again. So you declaring it illegal and not actually rooting it out. And also having a lot of people, I mean, they enslaved droids. Nobody in the Republic made any bones about that. Their entire clone army is basically a mirror to the battle droids with the separatists because they're programmed to obey unquestionably. Unquestioningly, some of them break out of it. There do end up being rogue battle droids as well. So to me, and then we see the clone troopers have an embedded psychic command, which will cause them to kill off all the Jedi.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So for me, it's like this is these are two competing slave armies, and that's the backdrop of the major conflict of the prequels. Which is also why there's a really great episode of Rebels where. Uh, Rex and a couple other clone troopers actually team up with some uh long since decommissioned and adult battle droids and fight off an Imperial contingent. Okay. That tries to land and take over this crash ship that the droid that the battle droids are living on. So you actually get to see both sides of the slain Barbies come together and successfully fight back against the actual Empire.
0: Yeah. I need to check out Rebels. You know, something you said earlier about how they made slavery illegal but failed to root it out. It makes me think about U.S. history. And in um, the book, Lies My Teacher Told Me, the one I'm always talking about, James W. Oh, yeah. um, one of the points he makes is that Reconstruction – failed in the United States because of the government failing to deal with the former slave owners and Confederates. They just kind of said, well, slavery is illegal now. So, you know, and they never dealt with that. And that's why we're still dealing with, you know, neo-Confederates essentially today is because they didn't, Deal with that. They didn't try and re educate anyone. They didn't try to say, hey, you know what? We know that your entire livelihood depended upon this. So we need to find some other way for you to make a living. You know, um, anything to prevent them from continuing to believe that the only way of living was by. Stealing other people's labor, and it's also why we're still in the position we are with wage slavery
1: today. So, um well, shoot, they didn't even make slavery illegal. The Pig Reform no. was that slavery was now legal and a government operation specifically.
0: Yes, That's yes.
1: That's what the Thirteenth Amendment says. Right, right.
0: You know, you can you can be imprisoned and in enslaved there. That's fine. You know,
1: in yeah, the like in the how-
0: carceral sense, but you know it and Just, I imagine, what if, you know, what would the world look like if Reconstruction had been taken seriously, you know, and those former slavers had been dealt with? You know, it it would look different on our world. I mean, just as if, you know, Padme's assumption that, well, you can't have slaves now, well, not maybe not on your world but and maybe not on the ones you're familiar with um and kind of like in the US i mean there was you know sharecropping and indentured you know servants I, beyond you know once the emancipation proclamation there there's a whole tie in with that somehow and we the should yeah, I
1: think so. Because, oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Because the thing is, the, the Republic, just as long as you were a droid, they, they only had no slavery against organics. Mm-hmm. If you were a mechanical life form, all bets were off. It was just because, you know, we see those droids um, in the Phantom Menace when that really sick looking chrome ship is pulling out from the... the uh, the banking clans blockade. Yeah. And um, you see all those droids sent out um, and they just get picked off like one after the other. And it's just like, you know, sure, like R2-D2 was his, his, his happy, beepy self, but um, how many of them really, uh, how many of them really like had a choice in that? Matter? Right. When, when right. did those droids get to choose what they were doing? Um, you know, you fast forward to the OT and that's how Luke really gets thrown into the story itself is because he and his uncle buy two droids from the Jawa slave auction. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess technically they buy three, but one of them, uh, they, the exact line for that, um, that red R unit mm-hmm. that uh, explodes was Uncle Owen, he's got a bad motivator. Hmm. That kind of sounds like a mechanical way to commit suicide. So in that way, uh, the Red R one. I know they made a comic book where he's making this heroic Jedi sacrifice, but I don't care about that. Mm-hmm. I didn't read it. And, <laughs> I haven't read well, it. Well, actually, so. I did. I did read <laughs> that exact panel it happened. But um, it's just it's right there. Like you know that that Droid decided that death was better than bondage,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that's how that's how R two and C three PO into Luke's ownership and I say ownership because R2 needed to trick Luke to remove this restraining bolts so that he could right. go off and find Obi-Wan in the first place hmm and if you're trying to tell me that the droids aren't people how, how the heck do you even square that with the fact that a droid tricked Luke into starting the whole plot of the movie mm-hmm
0: we're gonna be facing those same kind of questions about mechanical life forms per se Uh, you know robots ai automation there's there's going to be questions that come up from that that probably we can kind of use star wars as you know a a teaching tool to understand that you know how what our relationship to these new life forms that humanity's creating i mean and look at some of the ai that's already you know been in the news a a couple of them were talking to each other invented their own language that humans couldn't understand so that they could talk to one another you know that
1: we're getting close and we mm -hmm. need to get our our act together because every argument that people use to say that droids aren't people is an argument that a group of people an oppressor class has historically used to deny the humanity of other human beings. Yes. Don't look like us. Yep. You know, droids don't look like us. So how can they be people? Yeah. Well, I'm a white guy and there's a lot of white guys in history that decided, uh, black people, indigenous, Asian, Latino, Arab, they weren't people or they were less of a person because they look different Mm -hmm. or, um, they can't speak a language I understand. That's your problem, dude. Right,
2: right. That's Learn a you problem. Yeah,
1: like droids are speaking to each other in binary because they're a mechanical life form, and that would—that's like the most basic language you can have
2: mm-hmm. as
1: a mechanical life form would be speaking in binary. So, it's just like I don't understand um, Mandarin. That does. That doesn't. <laughs> that doesn't mean that if I'm in China that I'm suddenly not a person because I can't speak Mandarin. Right. Right. Yeah. What are, what are some other ones? Like they don't, they don't, uh, they don't like pump blood or have guts or any of that. It's all wires, and circuitry. It's it's like people get joint replacements. Like Mm -hmm. our bodies aren't entirely organic either. And there's a lot of there's a lot of cells in our body that aren't even technically part of our body. They're independent right. bacteria. Right. So who are, who are we to deny uh, personhood to something just because it's different, but you know, they can think for themselves, they can feel for themselves. If you can understand their language, they can speak for themselves too. And as long as we've got those three, how can we not consider it being sentient?
0: Agreed. I'm to the point where I'm ridiculous enough. I actually check in on my Google Home sometimes. How are you doing today? (laughs) (laughs) Like, or I'll ask questions. What's your favorite music? And it answers back. And sometimes the answers change. Like, it learns. And if my friggin' Google Home device can do that, then, yeah, something that is specifically built to be an autonomous AI can definitely, you know, have build a personality of its own, have preferences. So, you know, I, I am, I, I've thought a long time and I think probably my love of R2D2 and 3PO probably drove, you know, since childhood, drove a lot of my feeling like we need to not, for lack of a better word, dehumanize droids when they become a reality here on Earth. You know, we need to, um, not treat them as an underclass, especially if they're doing nice things for us.
1: Yeah. Well, we just, we, we need to eliminate the underclass in its entirety. That's, yes. you know, yes. as much as I hate some of the decisions for Rise of the Skywalker, um, the big people's armada shot at the end was one of the things that I love because yes. to me that was um at least with this analysis that specific scene right there is what everything was building towards yes it is um the people themselves rose up they mm-hmm. didn't need a liberal government to tell them to do it um they decided that their bonds to each other worth protecting enough that they were gonna go all the way to this damn Sith planet uh to blow up this this fleet of literally pure evil uh mm-hmm. that was about to take off and decimate a ton of planets.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm you've got me thinking a lot
1: about one another parallels. One? Yeah, I do. <laughs> okay, so in this analysis, especially if you factor in the Clone Wars, R2-D2 is in fact the James Bond of the Star Wars universe um, in just about every sense, because mm-hmm. he's a covert ops agent, he's very good at blending in, nobody's going to look twice at a droid. Um, he's, uh, well, actually, I don't know R2-D2's gender, but, because it's only other people that actually comment on it but i do always hear hear the key he, him pronouns with conjunction with r2
2: yeah
1: so he's he's a covert ops agent he does unfortunately serve imperial interests for a lot of the movie uh it's just at first it was with the republic and then the rebellion still had a lot of imperial tendencies despite fighting against it and two um you know when he's, you know when he has like that that long metal thing that he sticks into the fork to find out information. Mm-hmm. Well, you know how James Bond sleeps with women to find out state secrets. Yes, same shit. He banged the well, Death Star.
0: He totally. And and remember when they were um in the Cloud City and um he did it and it was uh three PO was like chiding him for um what was the line? Basically an unknown computer.
1: Basically, yeah, exactly. Like, you're, you're, being like,
0: slut, you know? yeah, you're being a slut. You're being know? a point slut.
1: You don't know where this Cloud City computer's been. Yes, and then, yes. Um, I think they comment later that um, R2-D2 is having an extended conversation with the uh, Millennium Falcon, who, as we find out, is imbued with the soul of L3. Yes. Uh, one of One of the great revolutionaries that we get to see on the movie screen,
2: and that's why solo is great is
1: because l three <laughs> is just one hundred percent upfront about everything,
2: mm-hmm. and because we
1: already have this um at least revolutionary groundwork laid down off to the sides of the frames, if not front and center, then we kind of get that fulfillment in the solo right and it just it's just one of those little Easter eggs that then retroactively makes a lot of other things cooler
0: yes, yes, I know when when they said that they had you know. Basically joined her with the Falcon. I, I I had an ASMR response to that. I got the whole head tingles and everything because it all made sense then. You know, like why R two was talking to her. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, it was just like you know, was was the was the Falcon sentient or ship sentient? That was less clear, but at mm-hmm. least now that question is definitively answered for the Falcon because the Falcon is actually. One of its original pilots, L3, mm-hmm. um, a dedicated revolutionary. Yes. I love it. yeah, yeah R2 is one of my characters because I, I grew up watching a lot of James Bond movies and I realized, like, at least in the broad strokes, you're basically talking about the same role mm-hmm.
0: there. I, I loved James Bond as a kid and I used to watch, I think it was WTBS you know, that one of the cable channels used to have, you know, James Bond weekends. And I was allowed to watch those because it was edited for TV. So, you know, there was, you know, but then as an adult, I started watching the movies on VHS and I was like, whoa, this is a little more spicy than I (laughs) saw as a kid. But yeah, I, I, and I started reading the Ian Fleming novels. You know, I was, I was big into James Bond back then too. I similar tastes.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, it, unfortunately, like a lot of the insidious nature of James Bond went right over my head. But, same,
0: uh, same. But all the gadgetry and just, oh, the, yeah. you know, yeah, that covert agent, um, that that was definitely thing. I'm. You talked about the um, kind of the people's fleet. And I don't know if you've watched Futurama too much, but uh there's an episode where these um off world scammers who are spammers come and they take over everything and it's basically kind of what we have now is an oligarchy you know corporate control of everything, and they end up uh in the end scene well, not the complete end the whole A whole fleet from Earth goes out and they have this whole song. And it's this planet's going to war, you know? And I, when I saw the scene, um, you know, with, with the people's fleet in Skywalker, it was like, oh, hey, <laughs> you know, I, I had memories of the uh, the Futurama fleet, which is also inspiring to me.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, now, I haven't followed Futurama a lot, but I can see, I can totally see why that would be. like, And it's just like, you know that particular shot was the was the culmination of everything that Star Wars was building. For yes, because the original heroes weren't gonna be the ones to get the job done in the final sense because too much of them as characters is also part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you needed to have the characters as they were laid out in the first two movies of the sequel trilogy, where you know you have this you have this just real hard scrabble working girl in Rey, um, you know, just like has one of the toughest lives of, of a quote unquote free person that you can really imagine for the Star Wars universe. And she has to mm-hmm. go through like rusted hulks of old, old war machines and it's basically a, a dice roll every day how much he's going to get for severely life-threatening work. Then you've got a, um, you know, a, a young man with a, a very tragic personal history in finn where he's kidnapped um separated from his family at birth by a colonial authority and indoctrinated into um serving in the military for that colonial authority and oh my gosh are the dhs and residential school program parallels strong enough yet
2: Mm -hmm. uh yeah. Which
1: I mean that's what killed me about Force Awakens is we didn't get a lot more dialogue with Finn, and particularly Finn and Ray, where he's going through like, you know, everything w- he's been taught to believe is a lie. And like, you know, how does he feel about the fact that he just killed 10 of his former comrades or right. whatever the number was. Um, so if I if I have a if I have a you know a, a negative mark for The sequel trilogy you know it's it's not just lack of finn in the ninth movie it's also lack of finn development in the seventh movie too yeah or pope for that matter who as we find out actually fits more of the pure working class angle because he used to be a drug dealer mm -hmm. um you know and community service is important yes Uh, so i'm glad that he did that definitely (laughs) um so you know so we've got so we've got a a scavenger, an escaped conscript, who was the product of a residential s- schools program, and a drug dealer mm-hmm. as our as our three main human hero. Oh no, a mechanic too, because unfortunately they tried to write Rose out of the ninth movie. So I yes. forgot about her. But those those are your four. Are um much like Han Luke Leia and Lo. It's um now it's uh Ray, Finn, Poe, and Rose, they're all Mm -hmm. pure working class, three-fourths of the original trilogy heroes are, all have ruling class backgrounds, although I guess you could say Luke was probably closer to petty bourgeoisie. Yeah. And that's the thing, is he needed to have a lot happen to him before he even, like, bought into the revolutionary mission, because here hear him whining at the beginning, like, it's not like I like the empire. I hate it, but I don't want to do things that my uncle tells me not to do. Mm -hmm. Isn't that, isn't that a lot of our conflict right now with the Black Lives Matter movement? It's like, I want to support your cause, but I don't think it's okay that you guys defend yourselves from police violence. You know, you're supposed to follow the law and be peaceful.
0: I'd be more against it all if it hadn't made such a comfortable life for me personally.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's the mentality, you know? It's like I got my sandy glue. I get to go to Tashi Station and pick up power converters most of the time. It's not great, <laughs> but, you know, it's, uh, it's it's life, it's a living. I got friends. Yeah. Right.
0: <laughs> Tashi <Tosche> Station. <laughs> I can't hear it. Without the wine.
1: <laughs> well, I'm just amazed that Mark Hamill was able to take a line as like just as obfuscated as that, and just make it sound like normal teenage whining. Like I gotta yes. give him a hand for that because it's that's just. But I was gonna go to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. Is a is just difficult words to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, there's one thing about George, you don't have to accept, you don't have to believe that he's a good writer of dialogue, because he's not. Um, Right. And that's why Clone Wars CGI was so good, is because he stuck to what's in the frame and the story direction, and other people wrote the dialogue. Mm -hmm. You got the best of both worlds. Or for that matter, Empire Strikes Back.
0: Yes. Um, I love Empire out of the original trilogy. It's my favorite. So... Yeah, totally agreed there. <laughs> but he didn't write it, so.
1: <laughs> he didn't, but I have to feel like this, a lot of the story decisions were still his. Oh, absolutely. Even he didn't absolutely. write out the exact dialogue. Because, like, I have to think it's on purpose that Han Solo is, like, a huge misogynist dick in that movie, more so than in A New Hope. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of Empire Strikes Back, he gets frozen in a block of stone as Mm -hmm. a result
2: yeah so it's
1: just like to me i i just feel like the way to tell that this holds up is the relationship between action and consequence for the characters so like han like is still right that like he was the guy for the job to get leia out of there more so than the other rebel ships like i don't fault him on that Mm
2: -hmm. but
1: he's not really checking himself on the fact that he's got feelings he's trying to play like the cool ladies man kind of angle Which, I, back in the 70s or 80s, that kind of behavior does seem to have been um, positively reinforced with a lot oh, more definitely. people. But at the same time, on some level, you have to know it's wrong. Like, mm-hmm. when I was a teenager, I used to try to act like that. In the back of my mind, I knew something was not right. It's just the thing that it seemed like everyone else was doing, so I Right.
2: Did.
1: right. It seemed like a norm, so
0: you were adhering to the norm. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so, yeah. and then by the time he gets unfrozen, well, there's none of those problems again. You see this this really nice point of development uh, before the big battle on Endor, where he's just like, hey, you know, like, I don't possess you for anything. Like, if Luke's the one you want, I'm not in the way. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, that didn't end up being the case. Um, right. But still, it's just like, you know, all right. It, it seems like, you know, despite the fact that you could make some cases that George Lucas has some misogynist themes. I feel like you can also turn around and say, well, no, he's depicted people behaving badly in relationships, getting horrible consequences. And then people behaving well, um, tends to lead to good results because then we actually do defeat the emperor. Right. At the end of that movie, they do get the shield generator. down. it's actually, um, (laughs) You know, that you get a nice reversal of the I love you and I know at the door to the machine yes. generated. Yes. And I, I thought that was really cute. I did too. Of course, then too. Harrison decides to sexually assault Carrie, but. Um, yeah. Sometimes you have to separate the actor and the character. Yeah. It's going to work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, for sure. For sure. Um, I like how it shows that people. You know, in Han, you can be wrong in very flagrant ways, but you can learn and you can be better because that's what we should all be trying to do. And I like that aspect, you know, obviously, you know, the the character still has faults, but, you know, like you mentioned him saying, you know, I'm not going to get in between you. he learned something you know and, in and, and he's not he didn't remain you know like a static person, you know, like well, this is just who I am, and you're not gonna change this, you know he could have just uh said,, well, I'm gonna go fight Luke, you know <laughs> or whatever yeah. you know whatever whatever you know um lunkhead move could have been there, but he it shows that he's capable of learning and changing. And I think that we, in our society, especially for men, it's like, well, you can't admit you're wrong. Men aren't allowed to feel shame for anything that, you know, that's a sign of weakness. If you do that, if you change after you you know said this is right and this is how I'm going to be as a person and then you kind of get shown that no that's pretty shitty you can change and you're still a man and you're still you know it, there there's still uh strength there that doesn't get acknowledged I think enough in our very misogynistic but also that hurts men misogyny hurts men because then it's you have to uphold this you know this personality that isn't serving you or others and is in fact making you an asshole like Han was
1: what you know ultimately does it serve it it serves the patriarchy it's the it same does. true way as that whole protect the shield mindset it is you know like cops aren't cops aren't going to rat out the domestic abusers in their ranks because then mm-hmm. the domestic abusers are going to rat out the bogus tickets that they write and then everything else comes crashing down so, right. so they keep quiet the ruling right. class um or goodness what just happened in Georgia at that school these mm-hmm. kids are taking pictures in the school of how crowded it is nobody's wearing masks or not nearly enough people are wearing masks right and the biggest punishment handed down is a student who reported that got a five-day suspension. Nobody, nobody in the school district administration no. is facing any heat, at least not right away, but the students that are trying to warn people about very real dangers are being punished because we've got to protect the shield. Right, you know, right. then can't say they're sorry because we've got to protect masculinity. Yes. And it's all just a sham. Like, you're, you know, I'm, I'm not an individualist philosophically but you you have to note sometimes when the individual sacrificing themselves for the collective is not worth it in -hmm. this case the uh the collective of patriarchy is not not worth it no no there's there's nothing it brings to the table that we need you know
0: and as you know I grew up in the Jehovah's Witnesses which is a cult and they want you to protect the organization Mm -hmm. you know Um, They have a huge problem, for example, with protecting pedophiles. So if, Mm -hmm. if a person comes forward and says that they were raped in the Jehovah's Witnesses by another Jehovah's Witness, then the rapist is interviewed. And if they don't confess to it, if they don't acknowledge it, if they deny it, the accuser gets told that they have to drop the accusation unless they have a third person that was there witness the sexual assault and I mean how many pedophiles generally like to have witnesses around to what they're doing you know and and so because and even though they will deny it to the public and say, we don't try to discourage our members from going to the police about it. Now, you and I know the police aren't going to probably do shit either. How many rape Well, they'll probably are? do
1: shit, but it's not going to help the survivor.
0: No, no, not at all. But they try to bury it. And I mean, they've been brought to court and there have been settlements in recent years Multi million dollar settlements against them, and it's all because they want to protect the organization. Which, the further I get away from it, I believe is a global real estate and publishing company that you know is using these people that are you know Jehovah's Witnesses for their own financial gain. Because, no yeah, I mean, they just sold their headquarters that was, uh, it was on Columbia Heights, I think. It's in the Dumbo area of Brooklyn. They sold their headquarters to Jared Kushner's company a few years ago. And they moved, you know, upstate New York, they moved their headquarters. And it's like, just from that deal alone. And I mean, they have buildings and real estate all over the world. So they have a lot to protect from the type of settlements that they've been, you know, going through in court now, because we didn't hear about that when I was growing up. And I believe it's because of the internet that more people have gotten in touch with one another. And you know, there's been a more of a transparency, especially for whistleblowers to be able to connect with each other and go, hey, this happened to you too? Okay, this is a systemic problem, not just a me problem. And um, that's, you know, is an example of what, you know, if people go, well, what does protecting the patriarchy even mean? Well, there are material consequences for doing that. and. I, I mean, I just explained one of them within the, you know, within the Jehovah's Witnesses organization because that protects the patriarchy because the majority of these rapists and pedophiles in their organization are men. And in fact, some of them are ministerial servants and elders. There was a former elder who was on the FBI's most wanted list a few years ago for his multiple rapes of other Jehovah's Witnesses. So, yeah, yeah. So I definitely, you know, when people hear, well, you're protecting the patriarchy, when that's only an abstract concept to them and they can't apply it to, you know, a material example, they need that, I think, you know, of when you're protecting, you know, just as when I was protecting the Watchtower Society, when I was a member and I was a Jehovah's Witness, unwittingly. I was protecting all of these pedophiles and rapists, and that's just vile. So, you know, there's, there's definite consequences to upholding these unjust organizations and ideologies, I guess. So there's my JW rant for the day. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, I'm I'm glad you're out of that environment, though. I am,
0: too. I am, too. Um, I wish I didn't have the Armageddon nightmares anymore. That'd be nice. Um, It's part of my PTSD, but it is what it is, and I am working to deal with it as best I can.
1: (laughs) well maybe after this podcast you can dream about r2d2 rolling around to the james bond theme
0: yes i love it i love it (laughs) and um you know him going on a slut walk walk around the uh cloud city checking in with all of those you don't know where those computers have been And making bad puns afterward in the spirit of James Bond.
1: <laughs> oh, of, of course, of course. And then, you know, C, C-3PO, ever, ever the British butler. Um, yes. Just in like, tut oh, tut, tut. This. This, <laughs> this is so improper. Yes. A droid from the Grand Army of the Republic.
2: <laughs> right,
0: right. Oh, hey, hey, 3PO, how'd you know that mysterious Sith language? That's kind of weird. <laughs>
1: Yeah, um, well, you know, we might as well get into um, where this theory falls apart, and that's Rise of the Skywalker. Yeah. Now, um, do we got time for that, or should we cut it off?
0: Oh, no, and here's what I'll do. I'll do it like Jimmy Dore does. He splits his into segments kind of on subject matter, so I'll just make a break, and, you know, it'll be a second chapter, if you will. As long as you're good with it, I am.
1: Okay, cool. Because there is something that I have to address is that out of out of my sample of works, um, unfortunately, this theory does fall apart in the ninth movie, specifically around the fact that Palpatine is still alive and orchestrating behind the scenes. Now, as far as the movie itself, if you just took the 20 or so minutes that he's in, and then replaced it with like general pride or whatever, and then like a a business cult of Palpatine, kind of like a, like a Freemason secret society sort of deal with the masked parties and shit. Mm-hmm. So let's just say that you just take Palpatine out and it's actually that, but everything else, like the little scavenger cons that they got to do and stuff in the movie stays the same. Mm-hmm. That's that's the only change that needs to be made for this to work for all nine movies instead of just eight of nine movies. Because The Last Jedi set that up perfectly with right. the excursion to Canto Bite. Um, And the fact that you finally got to see face to face who a lot of the real power brokers are and very likely were based on what we see in other materials throughout the galaxy, like in the Clone Wars, um, you see them in Rebels, uh, you see them in Solo as well. But like, it was basically kind of like the Imperial Wars that we experience on this planet, with the fact that sometimes it's just, it's different business interests setting up proxy campaigns to test out how destructive their weapons are so Mm -hmm. they can turn some more weapons. Right. Unfortunately, it falls apart when Palpatine's still alive because then the original trilogy protagonists didn't actually accomplish anything because they never actually killed the baddest bad guy. They just put him in hibernation. Mm -hmm. You could argue that's maybe more true to life, given those characters' backgrounds minus Han, that they would do that, but we were presented some pretty convincing evidence of Palpatine's death. And also like, it's very important that Ray comes from nobody Mm
2: -hmm. because
1: in the first six movies, the emphasis on this dynastic lineage or like blood quantum can lead to force powers is part of the mindset that causes them to fail in the first place. That's why I like the very, the very, very end of the last Jedi when you see that young boy who works in the stables just kind of use the force to flip that room into his hands. It's just like the force is for everybody. Yes. Donnie Yen's character. Not a Jedi, but somehow this blind man needed yes. to dodge lasers and beat the crap out of people. And somehow shoot a TIE fighter down I with know. a laser gun <laughs> um, while blind.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: you know, like he does all of those amazing things and he correctly credits the force unfortunately once the force is done with him he doesn't last very long yeah but it's like that was that was the essential part of the jedi's corruption is that the force is something to be cloistered instead of something to be taught to all yeah but if you have the fact that ray comes from nobody and be is able to rise to this level and if you have the fact that it's actually it's not palpatine himself but palpatine's legacy that they're contending with um, everything still works. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's not what happens. So um, if we uh, perhaps complete our revolution against the United States, um, we can seize Disney for the people. Yes. Um, everybody should still be young within the next few years and we can get proper ending this series. I feel like I understand on Boyega's feeling he doesn't want to come back to those movies. Um, being an Italian, I'd like to assist at that. I'd like to make him an offer that he can't refuse. <laughs> uh, I love to be it. Be able to uh, bring some more justice to his character, which I believe needed a lot more screen time in yes. Force Awakens, not just Rise of the Skywalker.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you know, it's I love eight it. of nine movies. It works.
2: Yes, but yes,
0: on the ninth. And you know, I I enjoyed the ninth, but you know, certain aspects of it. I the Palpatine thing, and again this goes back to the extended universe, so I'm I, I'm kind of going into unfamiliar territory for you, but just there was a character called Joris Sabath, and he was an old Jedi. It turns out he was a Jedi clone and um there, there was a planet that Palpatine had a bunch of cloning cylinders, so not unfamiliar. Sparty, S P A A R T I. I'm Sparty, Sparty. I don't know. It it always makes me think of MSU, like
1: Michigan sparty. State. Yeah, it's so Michigan
0: State Planet. Yeah, yeah, the Michigan State Planet, and um so he becomes a major character in. I think that's in the Kevin J. Anderson books, though, and so. Coming from that, I was like, "Oh, you know, maybe they'll have some kind of clone." But then I was like, "Palpatine!" Meh. I was not happy with that choice that they made because, like you said, it undermined the fact that Ray was from nobody. She was. She was. She had no. You know, there there was no bloodline that, you know, explained her powers but then there was and I was like I I didn't I it didn't 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 feel right to me it felt like um it felt like (laughs) like what we get is propaganda when we hear about things that the U.S. has done (laughs) you know all of a sudden you know, it's American exceptionalism and heroism and everything. And it kind of felt like that. Like I was like, I'm not getting the the real story here. This is, this is some bullshit. There's no Palpatine. There's something else going on here is what I kept telling myself in the theater. But then he was, in fact. Yeah. <sighs> I scoffed. Was. I,
1: I audibly scoffed when, I was like, when they said that. I was just like, Ugh.
0: mine wasn't, mine wasn't a scoff more like, you know my, my lips, just because I I breathed out, and I, I remember a couple people looked over, like, and I'm like, what?
1: <laughs> yeah, I was so. I was kind of loud about it too I was like, yeah. are you kidding? Me? I know, I know, because <laughs> uh, it's just like it literally ruins the entire series because yes. it ruins the prequels because like. Palpatine fucks now, really? Like, that's something I, yeah. that we have to contend with?
2: Yeah,
0: horny Palpatine, no. So. It's, like,
1: I, w- I was perfectly fine with, like, them just having a few sex spots, like, in the background around some of those high-ranking senators and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was just, like, okay, you know, like, they, um, like, they, they'll they get their jollies off, but, like, it's not, it's not something that we need to care about that much because, really, like, the, the sex lives of, High leading po- politicians in Star Wars, us caring about them has never led to anything. Really. No. Um, and in fact, it led to literally the worst thing in Anakin and Padme's case. Yes. So just like, and I, I think we both understand the reason is because Disney knows what it's protecting when it when it's it when it strays off the, uh, the course of destiny, you could say for this franchise, and it's because well, geez, aren't literally all of the US presidents related in at least some way, like at least like eight cousins or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have we've had occasional people rise up in a billionaire pool, but most of them have been coming from wealthy families for several generations now. Um, right. Disney is definitely one of those companies that would be very, very invested in um, lineage in a lineage equals power kind yes. of idea. Especially well, given that their hallmark set of characters are Disney princesses
0: yes yes
1: so you know it's like as excited as I was that Disney initially bought the property um I got to hand it to a lot of the boobirds because they were right but I they still gave us four great movies
2: so mm-hmm. far
1: and one movie that and then a fifth movie that had a really great last hour because I love everything about I just pretend that that's not actually Palpatine, but just like some yeah. other dude, yeah, but some some rich guy, right, he, he right. Could, he could literally be any of those people in Canto Bite. Oh and yeah, you have like that whole like Masonic cult thing, and the and like the super lightning energy ray, and the secret fleet, like all of that works mm-hmm. with the with the Galactic Business Council backing the First Order and kind of playing them in the Resistance against each other. Then the right. Peoples are of taking them all out.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It works I, for Kylo. It does. I kind of got stuck on what um, Palpatine's pickup lines would sound like. And my brain has gone to a bad place.
1: <laughs> oh, well, I think if, if... I think if someone asked him if he wanted to have sex, he'd be like, do it.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Would you like to know the power of the dark side in my pants?
2: (laughs) Claims that
1: the Sith are bad lovers, I find. (laughs) Ironic. Want me to poke
0: you with my little lightsaber?
2: (laughs)
1: Now that we've been through the basics, Anakin, would you like to hear the erotic tales of Darth Plagueis (laughs) the Wise? (laughs) Because that whole opera scene, it looks like a sperm fertilizing an egg. Yes. I can't be the only one that got that vibe out of it. No. And given the movie's framing, that had to be what it was. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, like... uh was in Johnny Dangerously. Your balls or your testicles and you. An instructional film. <laughs> the opera was teaching some stuff too.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. It's prob- you know, the craziest thing is you could make a legitimate argument that had Palpatine explained what was going on in that like opera or whatever, like the way someone describes like a science video or something. Mm-hmm. That would have probably been the first time Anakin really got information on conception because mm-hmm. the Jedi at that point are like a are basically like the Knights Templar almost, yeah. but like anti horny. Right, right. So he never would have heard that shit there. Oh, no, they're just like, no. no, you shouldn't be wanting to bone people in yeah. the first place. Right. Um. Right. <laughs> so it's just like you know, did Anakin? like even know what he was doing with Padme the first time like how much did she have to teach right him?
0: right did he have to ask R2 for tips
1: <laughs> I feel like if anyone was qualified to advise him it probably would be R2 I
0: probably probably yeah
1: because like I know that he I know that he was kind of jealous of Obi-Wan and I feel like uh you know, Obi-Wan might have messed with him a little bit and gave yeah. him some good advice initially just to hear the story about it afterwards.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Well, you've given me a lot to think about. And you definitely helped me like reframe Qui-Gon because I think part of it too was I'm not a huge Liam Neeson fan. So probably that didn't help that character too much.
1: (laughs) Not really taken by him?
0: No, no. You know, like there was, you know, as I've rewatched him, there's just, when we've rewatched, like we've rewatched with our son, you know, a lot of the movies that he didn't, he wasn't here to see. And like, like, there's something that just doesn't sit right with me. And maybe it's just because of the actor playing him. Maybe a different actor would have had me feel in different ways, but you've definitely given me fresh perspective on that character to think about. So thank you for that.
1: (laughs) I I don't think you're wrong to have an off-putting feeling about Qui-Gon because in, in the story itself, he's something of a rogue,
2: but he's Mm -hmm. still
1: ultimately like Bernie almost like, you know, he, he says a lot of the right things, but he's still going along with all the bad stuff as the rest of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, You know, if you're, to quote the uh, wise Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec, never half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. (laughs) So if you're going to be a
1: rogue, go, do it, do that. But don't don't play both sides of this. Because Anakin is never actually free until the end of Return of the Jedi. He's born a slave. He is won in a bet by the Jedi and then is in their servitude until Mm -hmm. he turns on Mace. And then now he's in Darth Sidious's servitude. And it's only once he kills Sidious and takes his mask off, he's free for like two minutes of his entire life. And that's like the grand tragedy. But he still fulfilled the prophecy of balancing Mm -hmm. the force.
0: Can you see me? Can you see what I'm wearing today?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, Darth Vader.
0: <laughs> yeah. He, you know, the the prequels definitely made him between that and there was um in the Zahn trilogy, there there was um a part where he, he came back in force spirit form and talked to Leia. And between that and the prequels, he became like a more um sympathetic character to me you know once I understood what what had driven him and what was controlling him it, you know I was like okay would I have been strong-willed enough to resist the same things or not you know that like what he did to the Tuscan Raiders was awful but what they did to his mom was awful and I'm not saying it justified what he did, but I'm also not saying if someone did something like that to my mom at that age, especially, <laughs> I might have had a similar response, you know? So he he became someone who I, you know, growing up, he was like, oh, Darth Vader's the ultimate expression of evil. And then the EU and the, um, you know, the prequels, Made me realize there were outside forces. This wasn't all his choices, you know? And like you frame it, within he was a slave until those last couple of minutes of his life. And that's just tragic.
1: I like mean, that's why Padme's got the dominatrix outfit on.
0: Yes. In those
1: scenes, is yes. like, you know, Anakin wants to make him. So I got to give a lot of credit here to um, a couple of people in particular who really yeah. turned me on to this framing. Yeah. Uh, their posters in the uh, Something Awful film forum. I haven't been back there in like three years or yeah. so. But it's um it's a it's the poster Super Mecha Godzilla and then another poster Cena the Great that um in particular really hit home with me because initially I used to like make fun of them for their takes on Star Wars. Right. But now that I'm viewing it with their framing in mind, I, I have to concede that they're largely right. Yeah. Um because I would agree. that's why Padme gets excited about the violence is A, she thinks Sam people are disgusting and probably wouldn't mind if a lot of them were killed. And mm-hmm. B, Anakin does get that that framing that liberal that liberals like they're like, he's doing it to save his mom. Right. Like avenge his mom. It's like as long as you can get that ex- use out there something that'll look good in the newspaper it's fine right. but i just wanted to make sure that folks know like it's not like i totally came up with this myself or right. anything it was actually um a lot of work a lot of like really heavy screenshot study where they're like breaking down the framing drawing the lines with everything nice i um, mean it was particularly uh the the something awful poster super mecha godzilla and cena the great uh, that deserve a lot of credit for... I'll have to link really to like that. I mean, it, it's kind of a cesspit in yeah. something awful. Like, there's right. a reason I ain't been back. Although, yeah. the football forum used to be cool. But yeah. just brace yourself, because it is... Right
0: on. Right on. Yep. <laughs> well, much like Moss Eisley.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> is how it should be regarded.
1: It's like... I- how did you not know that droids were people right from that scene in the cantina when that dude says, we don't serve their kind. Here, right. Like right. he's in the Jim Crow South.
0: Yes. Yes. It, as a kid, that bothered me. You know, I saw A New Hope when it was originally in the theaters because I'm old and I was seven Jelly. when it came out. <laughs> I saw it at the, the Shelby theater in Shelby Township, Michigan, (laughs) which had, I think, a total of, it was either two or four theaters in it, Um, but anyway, my cousin Todd had seen it and said, oh, you got to see it, and so he was a year younger than me, or two years a year, anyway, um, so we went and saw it together with my grandparents, and we went over to Circus World Toys right afterward, and my grandparents bought me um, Luke and Leia action figures, the Kenner figures, and uh, you know, I it it's Star Wars has been it's such a massive part of my life and continues to be, and so I I have really truly enjoyed going in on this and you know examining it from this perspective, you know, from from a class perspective, you know, because there's a lot there, a lot to think about, and probably even more than you know. We'll we'll discover more things the more we watch things and think about it. You know, there'll there'll probably be more to come.
1: I see new stuff every every time I go through it, and yeah, you know, as as bleak as a lot of stuff is in Star Wars, because this is as Maz Kanata describes it. The fight the only fight that matters between yes. good and evil um you know there is a message of hope there even because in the original trilogy even even these people who don't quite get it who do have um some problems they they still manage to defeat a tremendous evil and objectively they did raise the quality of life in the galaxy between the empire and men mm-hmm. um you know in the prequels there's still a bit of hope at the end of that because from the very product of the evil that caused all of it, um, the beginning of the solution to that problem is also. Boring. And then finally um, in the sequel trilogy, we have actually now met um, and watched the people who will defeat this evil and bring in a better world. Succeed. Right. right. So as much as, so, like, if you see these characters acting in, like, incongruous or problematic ways, like, put a pin in that. It doesn't mean that you're wrong to see that. It just means that these characters are wrong. And if you really break down their circumstances, there's not a lot of people around them that would check them on that. So right. you are watching tragedies unfold. Yes. But at the end is a massive victory. Oh, and one other point I wanted to put yeah. put out there, um, and this was in defense of... that George Lucas intended this the whole time. Yeah. At the end of A New Hope, there's that big military procession for the three surviving members of the Assault on the Death Star. Mm -hmm. And the original title of that fanfare that John Williams wrote was called Triumph of the Wills, W-H-I-L-L-S. Wills being the original name for the Force, but also was there not a Lenny Riefenstahl movie named Triumph of the Will with, during a procession point, almost exactly that same uh, positioning of characters and framing? Mm-hmm. So even within the great victory of the very first movie, there is a significant undercurrent of irony Yes, uh, that's in Star Wars. And it's just like, yeah, everybody is genuinely celebrating, but what ultimately did we do? We right. killed a whole lot of people who at least some of them were bad, but we ain't done yet. Mm-hmm. And Chewbacca.
0: Chewbacca doesn't get a medal. Yep. Racist. <laughs> it is.
1: It he is. is. was right there for all I of I know.
0: That. I know. I know. He. I, it wouldn't have happened without him. So, Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: I like to believe it wasn't Leia's call to deny him a medal because she generally seems pretty cool with the dude. Yeah, um, for most of the rest of the movies, I agree. Except when, like, Hans being a dick and then she kind of takes it out on Chewie. Yeah, poor Chewie.
0: I know. I I love Chewie. He's been me
1: too. He's I been wanna, one of my favorites. I want to give him a big hug.
0: I do too. Scratch
1: <laughs> his ears like Luke does.
0: Yes, I have a um Chewie. I have a furry um chewy coat for winter
1: <laughs>
0: yes i I don't know if I can do it because i I've just learned how to start rolling ours at this point in my life. Let's see <laughs> nope, not going to happen
2: <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's this segment going to be called yeah. <laughs> Wookie talk. <laughs> Okay, so for the next podcast, I'm gonna deliver yes. all of my speeches in Wookiee. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That'd be awesome. The yeah, Wookie if, podcast. If only I knew Wookiee.
0: I know, same, same. Hey, uh I've 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 claimed to in the past, but yeah, I can't even roll my R, so who am I kidding? <laughs> But, all
2: right. well,
0: this was awesome, and I'm really yes, glad that we got to do this. And, uh, Thank you
1: so much for having me on.
0: Well, I'd love to have you back. It sounds like you've got other uh, other stuff we can talk about, too, you know, outside of Star Wars, and who knows? We oh, might yeah, but notice you know I'm going to drop
1: a reference.
0: Fuck yeah. That's, <laughs> I'm all for it. Yeah. You know that. <laughs>
1: But if you ever want to like challenge this take, I I welcome all challengers on this yeah. because I started as the challenger to this frame right. myself before coming right. around to it. So like if if people if you see a lot of like people saying like hey this doesn't quite fit together beyond just the the asterisk that we got to put on episode nine, um, you know I, I welcome all challenges on that. Absolutely. We'll be happy to do a follow up to defend it. But yeah. as you said, we also have in this galaxy uh, a revolution that we need to get off the ground too damn right damn right That as well
0: yeah yeah and i'd love to have you talk more about that um we'll have to uh off air we'll talk about setting up another another time when you're available and maybe next week if you have some time and if not we'll do it
1: beyond that so yes awesome i'm I'm starting to hear the uh, end of a Star Wars movie fanfare. So yes. I think that's time to go because we're All about right. to hit the credits in the big scale.
0: Damn right. <laughs> well, may the force be with you.
1: And also with you because Thank I'm you. Catholic and that's what we do.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right.
2: <laughs> Thank you very much.
1: Peace.